0: Good morning everybody, it's great to see you this morning, those of you online, it's good to be with you as well. So here's what I know about you, because I know about me, I know about all of us, that we all want to make a positive impact and a positive difference in the world. I mean, when when we see things like injustice and abuse and prejudice and darkness and hatred and violence, there's just something in us that makes us want to help change it. We just long to have the world be a better place when we leave than when we got here. It's just true about all of us. And on a much more personal level, we want everything that intersects with our lives and everything that we intersect with to be better because of us. None of us goes, you know what, I want my marriage to be worse because I was a part of it. None of us wants our schools or our teams or our relationships to be worse because we're a part of it. I mean, all of us want our families, our friendships, our community, our businesses, our school to be better because we were there, to be better because we were a part of it. And you think about, like, man, why do all of us have this in common? It's just something that exists in all of us. Well, I think first, the first reason is because it's just God's fingerprint on us. You know, God said I had cre- he created us in his image, and when he created the world, he created it to be so good. And the things that we see that are not good, that are just not the way they're supposed to be, it's just something in us the way that God created us, his fingerprint on us, just goes, man, I... I want that to be better. I think another reason that this exists in all of us, we all have this in common, is because we all want to have purpose. We all want to live with purpose. And there's, we just know that value and purpose is tied to making people's lives better like when we 're on our deathbed, like we all want to know like that my life had purpose and i don 't think any of us are going to look back and go, "You know what gave me purpose, the amount of money I made or how big my house was or what car I drove we 're going to know what gave us purpose was us bringing value to people and us making people 's lives better in the world a better place. I mean we all want to make a positive difference and a positive impact, but I think few people realize that that actually happening is determined by an answer to a very important question. A question that most people never ask. And that question is, what am I known for? What am I known for? Without a doubt, you will be known for something. Without a doubt, I will be known for something. And what you're known for will either position you to make a positive impact and difference in the world or it will paralyze you from doing it. It will either set you up to live out your true purpose or it will lead you to purposelessness. It will either make your family and your relationships and your school and your community and your business and our church better or it will make it worse. So let me ask you, what are you known for? What are you known for? Really? See, the unfortunate news is that many people, many of us, will never make a positive impact in people, in the world, like we desire to deep within because of what we're known for. The reality of it is, is most people are known by what they're against. And you think about this just for a split second, you're going you're to understand this. You're going to know this is 100% true. Because people think they're known for equality, They think they're known for justice and love and peace and safety and community well-being and life and equal opportunity and freedom and, and inclusivism. But what they're really known for are the issues that they're against. Just think about it. They go, yeah. They're known for being against funding police or black being against Black Lives Matter. They're known for being against you know, what the left stands for, what the right stands for. They're known for being against masks or being against opening up businesses during COVID. They're known for being against government control, being against vaccinations, being against Christianity, being against gay marriage, being against guns, being against gun control, being against issues that they disagree with. You think about it. I mean, we just live in this hypercritical, cynical world where people are often known by the issues that they're against. And let's be honest, we're all guilty of it. I'm guilty of it, and you, and you, and you. You're guilty of it. Does not matter what you believe about God, what you believe about the Bible. Doesn't matter your age. Does not matter your color. Does not matter your sexual orientation. Does not matter your background or where you currently are in life. Doesn't matter how much you say you love Jesus and how loving you think you are. You and I, we all are guilty of it. So let me ask you, how's it working for you? Making a positive impact through that? Like you're making the world a better place, church a better place, you're making your school a better place by what you're against. Making your business a better place by what you're against? Making our community better because of what you're against? And if you're honest, the answer is nope, and never will you. Why? Well, because every what has a who attached to it. Every what, every issue has a who attached to it. Therefore, when you're known by what you're against, people eventually conclude, you're against me, See, since you're against that, you're against me. And you're against me because I'm black. You're against me because I'm white. You're against me because I'm younger or I'm old. You're against me because I'm single or married. You're against me because I'm straight or because I'm gay. You're against me because I'm a Christian or non-Christian. You're against me because I'm a Republican or Democrat. You're against me because I got the vaccination or I didn't get the vaccination. You're against me because I'm a conservative or a liberal. You're against me because I'm a man or I'm a woman. Hey, is the world better? By being against something? <laughs> Ever made a lasting positive difference by being against something? Ever changed anyone's mind who's on the other side by being against something? And the answer is never. No, and yet we keep doing it. And it never makes a difference because people sooner or later conclude, you're against me. You don't care about Me. Being known by what you're against has never made a positive impact on anyone, and it never will. All it does is just gather the others who are against the same thing and it ostracizes the people on the other side. All the while, this is crazy, all the while, both sides claiming to be the loving ones, all the while, both sides claiming to be the open-minded ones, and accusing the other side of not. And the reality is, is neither side's loving, neither side's open, open-minded. Both sides are against the other side until you agree with me. I'm against you. And it's making No positive difference in the world. And it's making no positive impact in the world. And it never will. See, the longer that you're focused on what you're against, the more hypercritical and cynical you'll become toward people who don't agree with you and people who you don't agree with. And eventually, you will be against them. And as soon as someone feels like you're against them, you, you can never make a positive impact or have any positive influence with them or on them. So with that being said, regardless of who you are, where you're at in your stage of life or on your spiritual journey, regardless if you know, you would say you're a follower of Christ or not, you've been, you know, part of church your whole life, this is the first time ever showing up, regardless if you believe everything in the Bible is true or you believe nothing in the Bible is true, regardless of your age or your color. I, listen, if you want to make an impact in the world, if you want to make people's lives better, I think it's just worth asking two questions. And you can ask these two questions regardless of what you believe. The first question is... What do you want to be known for? Like, It's just worth asking this question. What do you want to be known for? My best advice for you, regardless of who you are, all of us, because we all want to make a positive difference, is determine a virtue, a cause, an initiative that's, by the way, not about yourself. It can't be like, oh, I wanna be known for being a great baseball player or for being a successful business owner, or, for being smart, being funny. Like, nope, that's not it. What do you wanna be known for? Determine a virtue, a cause, an initiative that's bigger, that's that's not about yourself, and that positively impacts people your family, your customers, your teammates, your neighbors, your community, your classmates, and then communicate with a posture of what you're for instead of what you're against and give yourself fully to that thing. So ask, what do you really want to be known for? And then ask the question, what am I known for? See, this question will help you know if others are experiencing what you say you want to be known for. And if there's a gap between what you want to be known for and what you are known for, you've got to change your approach. You've got to change your communication. You've got to change your posture. Another way to ask, you know, think about this is, hey, when you it's your funeral and people get up to give eulogies about you, what do you want them to say about why your life mattered? I can guarantee you won't want anyone to say my life mattered because of the, his life mattered, her life mattered because she had so much money, she was so successful, she had this amazing car. He could really hit a good baseball. Like that. No. Like, what do you want people to say if they get up and give a eulogy about you? That's another way to think about these two questions. Listen, most people are known by what they're against. The world needs more people who are known by what they're for. The more you are, the more you know. You know, you know what you want to be known for. The more you're known by it, the more successful you're going to be at life. The more impact you will have. You know, the the better your your family you will be. your friendships will be, the community will be, your business will be, your school will be, and the more purpose that you will experience in life. So everyone should do that. But for those of us who would say we're followers of Christ, for those of us who would say we put our faith in Jesus, asking him to be the forgiver of our sins and leader of our life, we have to take this one step further. See, the starting point question for us is not, what do I want to be known for? The starting point question for us is, what is God for? Because whatever God is for should inform what we want to be known for and what we are actually known for. Because true purpose is found in what he's for. World-changing impact is found in what he's for. Listen, experiencing God's presence, experiencing God's power in us and through us happens when what we're for intersects with what he is for. However, interesting thing is this really isn't the question either. See, God is ultimately for a who much more than a what. Therefore, the question that we as followers of Christ must start with is who is God for? And Jesus actually answers this very clearly in Luke 19. In Luke 19, Jesus makes a very short statement that comes at the end of an amazing story. An amazing story I'm actually going to break down in a couple of weeks. But right at the end of the story, he makes this statement it's so clear of who, is God, who God is for. And he says this, for the son of man, Jesus is referring to himself, for the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. Says the, he's saying the ultimate reason Father God sent me was for those who were lost. Those who have a broken relationship with Holy Creator God because of their violation of sin against Him. Because of their violation of sin against Him. And that's you, that's you, that's you, that's you, that's me. That's all of us. Jesus was clear. That our heavenly father sent him on a mission to restore and redeem and reconcile our broken relationship with him. That's what Jesus gave his life on the cross for. And that's what Jesus rose from the grave to prove that only he can do. And the only reason God did this. The only reason our heavenly father sent Jesus was because of his great love for you. Was because of his great love for me. Was because of his great love for Those who are lost. Ultimately, God is for a who, not a what. God is for people. God is for people. People who don't agree with him and people he doesn't agree with. God is for people who have rebelled against Him and are considered enemies of God. God is for people who have who have violated His created intent for them. God is for people who have turned their back on Him. God is for people who don't believe in Him, who don't trust in Him and don't want even to trust in Him. God is for people who are sinful, prideful, evil, unloving, violent, and immoral. God is for people who are broken, who are downcast, who are weary, who are forgotten. God is for people who are hopeless, people who are helpless. God is for people who are wrong and think they're right God is for people who are lost God is for you God is for me God is for us and God is for them all the thems that you don't think that God could ever be for God is most for and when Jesus left he called us as his church as his followers to carry on his mission of being for those whom he is for the lost by sharing his love with them Jesus is saying, that's ultimately what you, as my followers, as my church, should be known for. So, is it? Is it? Is it what you're known for? I mean, what's the church known for? Well, let's think about that question from the perspective of people outside the church. From someone from people who are not followers of Christ, what would their answer be? And if we're honest, we already know what it is. People are more familiar with what the church is against rather than what the church is for. Just like the rest of the world, we're called to stand out in the world and be light in the world, but we're no different than the rest of the world. People are more familiar with what the church is against rather than what the church is for. Like the rest of the world, we're more known by the issues that we're against. And if that's true, and I think it is for a lot of people, no wonder we've lost all influence in this world. No wonder we've lost all impact in the world. We sit there and we focus on the issues as arguments to be won. And as we're fighting to be right, we've forgotten that every what has a who attached to it. Therefore, people have concluded, you, the church, you as a follower of Christ, you're against me. For instance, in a recent study, a recent study revealed ninety-one percent of people outside the church perceive Christianity primarily as anti-gay. Go talk to someone who's not a follower of Christ who's gay. Go talk to someone who's not who who is not a part of a church who's gay, and ask them what the church is known for. Ask them what they think about you, and they're probably going to tell you you're against me. You don't care about me. People are more familiar with what the church is against rather than what the church is for. And if that's true, and I think it is for a lot of people, no wonder so many people want nothing to do with the church. They've concluded God and church isn't for them because the church isn't for them. God isn't for me because you're not for me. And church is definitely not for me because the church is not for me. And as a result, a gap has been formed between the church and the rest of the world. And the gap gets bigger and bigger and bigger the more we feel like and the more they feel like it's us against them. Take this gal for instance. Jesus is for her. He came for her. He died for her, he rose for her, but Jesus is not on her radar, the church is not on her radar, and the only way that that will ever change is if we live out our role, our calling, our purpose as followers of Christ and shrink the gap between her and the church. For us to shrink the gap in her knowing that there is a God who is for her and we are for her. The question is, how do we do this? Well, we're not the first ones to wrestle with that question. As a matter of fact, the the first church in first century Jerusalem talked a a lot about this, debated a lot about this. And in Acts 15, we see what they decided to do. But to understand this passage in Acts 15, like, you need some context a little bit. And what you need to understand is for hundreds of years before Jesus, there was a great divide. There was a huge gap between Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles would be anyone who wasn't a Jew. I mean, the Jews... If, you know, as you read throughout the Hebrew scriptures, our, our our Old Testament, you see that the Jews, once known as the Hebrews, and then became known as the Israelites, and then became known as the Jews, are God's chosen people. The Jews, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, were the only people who believed and worshipped that there was believed in one true God and worshiped one true God in the world of polytheism and world of where people believed in many gods and worshipped many gods. And 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 God had told the Jewish people through his prophets that he was gonna send a messiah. That he was going to send a savior who was going to be Jewish, he was going to send a savior in their bloodline who was going to save the world. The Jews believed, unfortunately, that it was just about saving them. And as God's chosen people, you see that God gave them the law known as the law of Moses or the Mosaic law. And in the law of Moses, there there's 600 plus laws and commands. You can read about this in the Old Testament that God gave them to live holy, to live consecrated, to live separated from the world as his people to show the rest of the world that they worship the one true God. So they live by this. And you need to understand that the Jews, man, and when they looked at Gentiles, anyone who wasn't a Jew, they looked at Gentiles, you and you, and you, and you, and you and me, us as Gentiles, looked at us and thought, unclean and unworthy. Unclean before God and unworthy of God. Unclean before us and unworthy of us. And so Gentiles just felt like Jews were against them. And Jews felt like Gentiles were against them, and they were against one another, and this huge gap was formed between Jew and Gentile. And And that is the world that Jesus, the Messiah, was born into. And then Jesus starts talking. And all throughout his ministry, he made it clear that he came to seek and save those who are lost. He came to seek and save all people, Jew and Gentile. Over and over and over he made it clear that every person is saved, reconciled, forgiven of their sins, restored in relationship with God through faith in him alone. By asking him alone to be the forgiver of their sins and leader of their life. And before Jesus physically ascended after his death and resurrection, he commanded his disciples, he commanded his followers, which by the way, at that point in time, all Jewish, to go to the ends of the earth. And preach the good news that salvation was available to all people through faith in him. Now, his church, his disciples, his followers, it took him a little while to get going on this because they'd never really interacted with Gentiles before. But they finally did, and before long, thousands and thousands of Gentiles living in the region around Jerusalem became followers of Christ, put their faith in Jesus. And this created a ton of tension with Jews who had also become followers of Christ. Because these Gentile Christ followers now, you know, supposed Christ followers now, according to these Jewish Christ followers, they weren't living by the law. They weren't living by the law of Moses. They weren't, they're not following our 600-plus laws and commands that God gave us as his people. And that means they're still unclean. That means they're still unworthy in the eyes of Jesus, in the eyes of God. See, Jewish followers of Christ, Jewish Christ followers, saw, at that point in time, thought that Jesus saw Jesus and his ministry as an extension of Judaism. Therefore, they concluded that in order for a Gentile to truly be saved, they had to both put their faith in Jesus and convert to Judaism. And they needed to demonstrate that by getting circumcised. And this created, you know, an us-against-you gap that got bigger and bigger and bigger. And it finally reached a climax in 48 A.D., about 15 years after the events of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And here's how it's... How the story goes. Certain people, by the way, you find out these certain people are Jews who had put their faith in Jesus. So these are Jewish Christ followers. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch, and that's a city north of Jerusalem, and were teaching the believers. The believers here are Gentiles who had also put their faith in Jesus. So they're talking to these Gentile Christ followers, these supposed, you know, people who had put their faith in Christ who weren't Jewish. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you know, according to the Jewish law, the Mosaic law, you cannot be saved. What was communicated is we're against uncircumcision and so is God. What was translated from the Gentiles was you're against me and so is God. Well, this brought Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas, I mean, they're the front runners in preaching the gospel to the Gentiles up to that point in time. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas heard what's being communicated to these Gentiles, and they weren't having it. So they confronted these Jewish Christ followers. And after realizing they weren't getting anywhere with them, they thought, man, we got to go to Jerusalem to get this all figured out with Jesus' apostles and the leaders of the church. Because if we don't... We will never reach any Gentiles because they'll always conclude we're against them. Therefore, they'll conclude God is against them instead of for them. They'll never understood what Jesus died for. For. Verse 4. When they came to Jerusalem... They were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. So Paul and Barnabas, they show up in Jerusalem and they start reporting that as they're preaching the gospel that hundreds and hundreds of Gentiles had put their faith in Jesus and become followers of Christ and everyone's rejoicing and having a party. Then some of the believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees, so these are some Jewish religious leaders who had also put their faith in Jesus, which is just crazy that they would have. like So these Pharisees, these Jewish religious leaders, they become followers of Christ and they stood up and said the gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of moses in order for a gentile to be saved they have to put their faith in jesus and they have to convert to convert to judaism as well and then the apostles and the elders met to consider this question they met to consider who is jesus for to consider what are we going to be for To consider what do we want to be known for. To consider how to shrink the gap in Gentiles knowing that God is for them. And so are we. And after much back and forth debate, at the end of the day, the church leaders concluded that Gentiles didn't have to convert to Judaism in order to be saved. They they concluded that Jesus came for Jew and Gentile. They concluded that every person is saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus alone. By grace through faith alone. By God's grace through faith in Jesus alone, asking him to be the forgiver of our sins and leader of our life. They concluded that adhering to the 600 plus laws and commands in the Jewish law, in the Mosaic law, is not required in order to follow Jesus. Now the cool thing is, is if you read the rest of Acts 15, you'll see that, that what they did there actually at this, at this meeting was they asked, ended up asking Gentiles from that point forward to adhere to only four of the 600 plus laws and commands in the Jewish law. For us, that means they said, hey, we're gonna ask you. I mean, the apostles and the church leaders, first church leaders asked, said, "Hey, Gentiles, will you just adhere to these four things? Of all the 600 plus laws and commands in the in our Old Testament, will you just adhere to these four things? Which should tell us a lot about who the Old Testament was written to." and said hey we want you to do re- for these four things and these four things had nothing to do with salvation it wasn't put your faith in jesus and these four things these four things all had to do about unity and relationship within the church because with by the gentiles at that point in time not adhering to these four it would be so offensive to jewish christ followers that it would create nothing but division within the church so they're like can you just do these four things and everyone's like yeah and the guys were like thank god circumcision isn't on that list like whew, we're Good. But before they came to those conclusions, James, the younger brother of Jesus, who was a devout Jew, devout Jew, and at that point in time, by this, by this time in 48 AD, had also become the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Before they made all these conclusions, James James stood up and made a statement that has been a guiding light for me as a follower of Christ. A statement that has been a guiding light for me as a pastor. A statement that must be the war cry for us as a church. And James stood up in that meeting and he says, it is my judgment therefore that we should not make it difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God. We should not make it difficult, James said, for people God is for, He sent Jesus for, that Jesus died for and rose for, to turn to God by putting their faith in Jesus. I mean, this is so amazing. That day, what they did was so pivotal and so important for the rest of the next 2,000 years. At that day, they chose to be for who God is for, they chose to put people ahead of issues. They chose a posture of love over their position. They chose not to make it difficult for for people to, to know that God was for them. They chose to be known by who God's for instead of what they were against. And thank God they did. Because thousands and thousands and thousands of Gentiles throughout the Mediterranean Rim put their faith in Jesus in the first century. And the world was forever changed. And you've got to know, the only reason that we are here today... The only reason the church is here today, the only reason that we as Gentiles are sitting here today, gathered together today in America 2,000 years later, is because of what they chose to do on that day when they said, we are not going to make it difficult for those who are turning to God. Let's go back to this young lady. We've been called not to make it difficult for her to turn to God. We've been called to be a church where she can belong without changing anything she believes. A church a people that she can be loved right where she is. A church a people that she can come just as she is to hear and experience Jesus' love for her. We've been called to shrink the gap in her knowing that there is a God who is for her because we... Are for her so relevant relevant community church let me ask you what do we want to be known for what do we want to be known for better yet what does Jesus want us to be known for and you've got to know as the pastor as long as I'm the pastor there's one answer to that question And it's a very simple answer, and it's the answer that is just going to, we're going to just proclaim forever. We are four people because God is. We are for people because God is in a world where churches are often known by what they're against, like the rest of the world. We want to be known by what we are for. We are for people because God is. We are for people we don't agree with and who don't agree with us because God is. We are for people who have turned their back on God because God is. We are for people who don't believe in God, don't trust in God, and don't want to trust in God because God is. We are for people who are sinful, prideful, unloving, and moral, unforgivable, because God is. We are for people who are broken, who are downcast, who are weary, who are forgotten, who are hurting, because God is. We are for people who are hopeless and helpless, because God is. We are for people who are lost, because God is. And this is so important. The only way people will know that God is for them is if we are. That's why we're for people. Jesus came to seek and save the lost, and the only way people will know that God is for them is if you are, is if I am, and that's what Acts 15 is all about. Listen, we have the greatest message the world will ever hear about. We have the message the world needs to hear about. We have a message of hope and joy and peace and salvation that Jesus came for, Jesus died for, and Jesus rose from the grave to offer and the only way a skeptical world is ever going to be open for us to share it is if they know that we are for them and not against them. The number one question that people want to know is, do you care about me? Do you care about me? Do you care about me ahead of the issues? Do you care about me despite our disagreements? Do you care about me regardless of your position and my position? So let's prove we care. Let's let's be a people who, who are for people because God is. Let's shrink The gap. But again, how do we do this? How do we shrink the gap with someone who has no interest in God and maybe has already said no to church and no to Jesus? How do we shrink the gap with people who already already feel like we're against them and we feel like they're against us? How, How can we be for people without changing and compromising our positions or our beliefs or our convictions? How can we be for people without... Being for that, well, that's what we're going to talk about for the next few weeks. A lot of what we can talk about is going to be focused on us as individuals. It's going to be focused on you and me as individuals. And I think you're going to be challenged. I think you're going to be convicted. And I hope that you're going to be inspired to take next steps to change. I know I was challenged and convicted and inspired just planning this sermon. However, you've got to know this isn't just a you thing. It isn't just a me thing. This is a we thing. The church is a people. The church is not a Sunday morning event. It's not a building. The church is a people. And if we collectively aren't known by being for people, if we collectively aren't known by being for our community, nothing's ever going to change. The gap's just going to continue to grow and we'll never make a positive impact in people. We'll never make a positive impact in our community. We'll never have influence. Being a church that is for people and for our community, you got to know it can't just stay with me. It can't just be my vision. It can't just be my mission. It can't just stay with a few of us and be a few of our visions. Th- throughout this series, I'm going to challenge us together to carry this mission together. We must. Otherwise, nothing will change. And, and that starts really today by all of us who are followers of Christ honestly answering the question... What are you known for? Jeremy, what are you known for? Zane, what are you known for? Reese, what are you known for? What are you known for? Are you known by being for who God is for? Or by what you're against? Are others experiencing what we say we want to be known for through God? You. You've got to know, whatever you, if you say you're part of Relevant and you say you're a follower of Christ, whatever you are known for is probably what we are known for. And when we are known for one thing and talk about being for something else, we lose credibility. And when we lose credibility, we lose ability. When we lose credibility, we lose the ability to show people that God is for them. And that's why we all honestly need to answer this question and be fully engaged in this series. And to help you prepare your mind and your heart for the next three weeks, I really want to invite you to do two things this week. Two things this week. Two things that are going to be that are really simple to do, but for some of us are going to be really challenging. For some of you are going to be like, mm, this makes me really uncomfortable. So they're simple things. They're silly things. But they're going to be challenging for some of you. And this first one, here's the first thing I want you to do this week. When you walk out, you're going to get one of these relevant R window, window cleans. Now these aren't to promote relevant. I'll tell you what the purpose of this is in a second. But here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to stick this on something that you or others will see it every single day. Stick it on the, you know, these are created to stick on the, you know, the back window of your car. Stick it on your car, uh, stick it in your cubicle, stick it on your office door. Uh, young people, stick it, you know, on your back of your computer, on the back of your phone, on your iPad. Just stick it somewhere this, where everyone's going to see it this week. And here's what I want you to do. For one week, this week, just only this week, every time you see it or you know someone else sees it, I want you to show the people around you in that moment that you are for them. So, you know, when you're driving, you have this on the back window and you're driving this week and, you know, you piss the person off behind you or they piss you off, it'll happen. Listen, a finger does not communicate that God is for you. Like, don't do that. Like, and you know they saw it, you'd be like, man, I'm from Relevant. You know, like, no, mm -mm." (laughs) mm-mm. Nope. Put Put it away. Put it back in your pocket. You're in the drive. You know you're in the drive-through getting a cup of coffee, and you know the person behind you sees this thing. Buy them a cup of coffee. Buy the person a cup of coffee behind you. Hey, you're sitting in class, and that bully's being a jerk again and saying stupid things to you. Like right there, you go. you know they see this. Like, show, how can you show them that you're for them? I want you to do this for one week, all week long. And here's the purpose. The purpose is to help train your mind as a follower of Christ. Listen to me. If you hear nothing else, listen to this. The purpose of doing this for one week is to train your mind as a follower of Christ, that every single day, in every single decision, in everything you do, you represent a someone and a community of someones. Every freaking thing you do, say, act, you represent a someone and a community of someones. Well, let me ask you, if everyone from Relevant responded how you did this week, operated like you did this week, acted like you acted this week, would people conclude that we are for them or against them? Would people conclude that God is for them or against them? So do this for one week. It's silly, but it's going to be really challenging for some of you. I know it's for me. I Listen, I, I, I sweated putting this on the back of my car when I did because I'm an aggressive driver. And I know that like, mm, so like every day I'm like slow it down, let them in, you know, do, do your thing. Okay, here's the second thing uh, I, I want you to do. In the lobby, there's a huge Ford display. Do we have it it up there? So yeah, this is in the lobby. It's right out on this wall out there. So here's what I want you to do. Today, I want you to write someone's name on one of those letters. I want you to write someone's name. Now here's the name of someone I want you to write. I want you to to write the name of someone who's not a follower of Christ. Someone who's maybe said no to God and no to church. The name of someone... Who God wants to know he loves them and sent Jesus to die for and rise for. The name of someone who may think that you're against them because of their political stance or their sexual orientation or their differing beliefs or their behavior or their views. The name of someone who needs to know that you are for them. And after you write their name on it, when you walk out, I want you to pray for them this week, one week, every single day. Every day this week. And I don't want you to pray for them to change I don't want you to pray for them to agree with you. I don't want you to pray for them to come over from the dark side. I want you to pray this every single day from this week. God, how can I show them your love for them? God, how can I show them your love for them? Let me tell you what my hope for all of us is by the end of the week by praying that. My hope by the end of the week is God gives you the same heart for them that he has for them. That may be the biggest transforming work that he wants to do in you. That he gives you the same heart for them that he has for them. And who knows? Come on. Who knows? That transformation in you may be the thing that leads them to God transforming their life and their eternity. Church, we have a huge opportunity to be a bright light in this dark, hypercritical, cynical world that's often known by what it's against, simply by being a group that's known by who we're for. So let's stand out. Let's shine brightly by being for people because God is. Just like the first century church. That's how we we'll live with true purpose. That's how we we'll help transform people's lives and eternities. And that's how we get to be a part of impacting and changing the world. Because that's how they changed the world. Let me pray. God, I pray this week that uh, this, we engage in this way, that we choose to take these silly small steps and through it you do a transforming work in us. I pray this week that you give us a heart more for the people you have a heart for. Um, change us in that way and I pray that as we take these silly steps, God, that someone this week, maybe a person or two this week that doesn't know you, that thinks the church is against them, that thinks you're against them just has their hearts softened to you this week, and they come to know truly that you are the God who is for them, the God who sent your son for them, to die for them, to rise for them. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.